Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your co-host, Brian Weinstein, bringing it to you every other week with my favorite other co-host, Caitlin Postal. Nicely done, Brian. How are you today? <laughs> Good. I think this is the first time I ever I ever got the the new 2.0 pronunciation correct. <laughs> I'm digging it. Happy to be here and excited for the episode today. Yes, and excited because it's Friday, which is yeah, fantastic. Well, always, always that, but to, to be able to have a Friday with such a special guest just makes it that much better. Yeah. That is awesome. And a good segue. Thank you very much. So we have with us today from Reed's Jewelers, uh, CIO, Arthur Fid. Arthur, how are you? Hey, how's it going, Brian? Caitlin, I'm, I'm doing well. It's, it's Friday afternoon and uh, it's sunny in Wilmington and there are three beaches 10 minutes from here. So that's, that's fantastic. You know, it's nice that we're getting to this time of year. I'm excited. Uh, I'm just back from travel from Vegas, where it was a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm excited to be back here in Jersey and start to head down that path of seeing flowers bloom, days getting warmer and longer, which we're already starting to see. So, all right. So Arthur, can you give a little bit of background about yourself to our to our audience? Sure. I am currently the chief information officer for Reed's Jewelers, and that includes our digital business as well, reads.com. I've been in the IT industry, gosh, for well over 30 years. So I've, I've been around the block for a while. And there hasn't been much progress in that industry over 30 years at all. I don't yeah, not, not much has happened. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're still using floppy disks. <laughs> Uh, but I had my entree many years ago in my my third year in, in college. I was uh, by IBM, and so I was a member of a team that was located in Brooklyn, uh, New York, in a building okay. where 70% of the thing was below the ground. And, and right. that, that's because we did a lot of our uh, work on our power supply units for the mainframe and from a security standpoint, you'd go in the building, you'd press six in the elevator and you'd go down. So it was first, right. it was a trip. No, no yeah. pun intended. Right. Um, That's funny. And, it's like you see, and, you see in the movies with like the military and the top secret exactly. going, and, right, right, going uh, down to the bunker. And so, uh, uh, was intrigued by that experience. You know, when, when I was at IBM, there was a, a meeting we had with, with some senior folks up at their Kingston location, Kingston, New York. And they told us there are only three types of people on the planet, those who work for IBM, those who used to work for IBM, and those who want to work for IBM. And <laughs> and I turned to the guy next to me and said, it's a cult, I gotta get out of here, this is crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it actually formed the core of, I think, the person I am today, the leader I am, you know, in the training we, we, we get there. And uh, having left IBM, I made my entree into the Wall Street world. I, I was hired by Merrill Lynch, the World Financial Center, uh, downtown yep. Manhattan, uh, and uh, you know, worked my way through what was that Wall Street experience as a young 23-year-old you know, kid. Yep. And uh, 
spent about seven or eight years there and 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 I did what most of us did back then is you would go from one Wall Street bank to another. So I did my time going out know, to different different banks. Right. They're literally across the street from each other just yep. <laughs> because of how downtown is located or yeah. situated. And then I had an opportunity to work for Avon. Okay. I, I found my softer side, Brian. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I, I joined Avon. Uh, I was originally responsible for business intelligence and analytics and, and building out uh, a whole infrastructure using technology provided by a company called Cognos. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, when Avon decided that it was going to adjust its 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 model uh, from being you know a traditional B two B selling through catalogs to a more of an omni channel where you're going to enable direct to customers and then use that channel to drive the B two B, I was picked to be the head of global e commerce. Yeah and to lead the build out of what you now see as avon.com. Yeah. And of course, this was in 1999, 2000s. Yeah. That's a long time ago. It's interesting because, you know, we've we've had some other guests on and, you know, I think for maybe for some of the younger entrepreneur entrepreneurs that are listeners, there is a value that comes from working for these very large organizations like an IBM and I'm sure a lot with the banks, right? Mm-hmm. Where they teach you levels of discipline exactly. uh, and, and structure that maybe, you know, younger entrepreneurs kind of, they may dismiss it, but there is an importance to it, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. It's either that or utter chaos, right? And you're right. And it's funny when you when you look at a lot of what I do today in academia, I'm on faculty at the University of the West Indies and two faculties there. And I spend a lot of time lecturing to the the MBAs and the MSCs in information management about the importance of knowing how to write a business case. Right. 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 You know, IT people complain a lot that, you know, I'm, I'm, we need to get this new thing and, and they just won't fund it. You know, that pronoun, they, they right. never fund they. anything <laughs> without thinking, wow, maybe I'm not making a case for it. Right? right. And so that's just one example that has stayed with me. That structure. I mean, you don't want the extreme where you're spending your time doing PowerPoint slides either, but, but it definitely gives you a proper uh, context for those. Decisions. Yeah. And when you, and and again, because the entrepreneurial spirits, they just, you know, you need to harness that talent to a degree. You need to harness and be able to focus your thoughts in a specific way that's going to be productive without, to your point, being so structured that you suddenly have these blinders on and you're not unleashing the creative side of the uh, entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, so it's finding that happy, happy ground, Brian. You know, someone once said, given the uh, choice between chaos and tyranny, the people often choose tyranny, right? <laughs> which, which is a pretty ironic outcome, but there's a <laughs> right. reason they will choose it. Right. <laughs> At least they know where the lines are drawn, right? And, and if you take that metaphor and you bring it forward, it, you have to want to understand the protocols and the frameworks for how do you bring an idea from an idea into a product that is consumable by an end customer. 
And you right. don't just sit in the lab and, and say, this is a really cool thing, and then it happens automatically. So, it's, so that kind of big company grounding and discipline around risk management and business case development and design before you build, what a yep. thought, uh, yeah. is critical. So then you started to talk about Avon a little bit. Oh, yeah. And going down this path of really taking a company that was B2B mm -hmm. and catalog-focused and transforming into e-com. And we have a lot of customers that we speak to that are start out digitally native and they go towards the brick and mortar side. This is really the opposite, which I always I always think is harder, especially because you've got yes, companies that are established. So I would imagine that you had to be sort of that entrepreneurial voice within the organization to go into this e-commerce world. So there's a whole group of us uh, working at that time to, and again, we're talking, you know, just after the year 2000, right? By the, the, by like, the way, okay. they're not they're not here. You can take all the credit. It's fine. <laughs> we can just say it was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 we we had a we had a solid team, and and uh, it, you know, it, it, what was interesting though is the number of times, even in today's construct, that I mention things to the team and then I tell them, oh, we did this in, in the year 2000. And they're sort of looking at me like, what? And I said, yeah, we actually, that's what we did. Um, but it tells you a bit about where we were then in the year 2000, 2001 at Avon, right? Uh, because when our leaders made that brave decision that we were going to go against a 118-year-old model of selling through 3.5 million Avon reps back then, that takes a lot of guts. Yep. And then when you're the person building out the actual platform, you know, there are a lot of sleepless nights, right? And we, we as a team spent a lot of time trying to understand how to speak to the, to the, to the ideals of, of the Avon lady, the Avon rep. And what we realized is it's all about leads, right? Leads generation. Yep. And, and so to the extent that, we can use, you know, Avon.com, for example, even though it goes direct to Caitlin or Brian to drive B2C sales, to the extent that we can harness that information and then bring that customer over to an Avon rep to build that lead so that customer now has a relationship with the old model, it's fantastic. And so they all said, well, okay, <laughs> what are you waiting for? Just rack up those leads. Hence, the birth of Avon.com and and every now and again, I log on that site and I look at it and I go, oh, wow, she's still running. There she goes. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting as a, as a business development person. I mean, you say leads and I'm bought in, right? But how do you, how do you take a legacy model to, the new, to a new level and really use technology for a catalyst of change? How did you get that buy-in or really spearhead that effort? I'd probably use a couple of other examples where I played more of a, an ownership role of the transformation. I mean, I've done it at financial institutions. I'm doing it here at Reed's Jewelers right now, which, which, is, which is almost a, a sort of a parallel situation, isn't it? When you look at Avon, Reed's has been in business, Brian, for over 78 years, right? Yeah. Uh, a very successful family-owned jewelry company selling primarily in a particular section of the United States, you know, Southeast, Atlantic, through a whole bunch of brick and mortar outlets and franchise outlets. And we're now realizing, well, hey, there's an opportunity for us to attract customers who are 
in parts of the United States at that point in time and are unaware that we even exist. The cost of building out stores would be prohibitive. And so Reads.com is alive and well, and, and the approach to drive that is not easy. There are really three major points that I focus on, Caitlin. It's people, process, and technology. Interestingly, I believe we live in a world today where the technology is a commodity. So, so that's not the hard part anymore. Right. Right. 30 years ago, that was the hard part. You know, it's a commodity, right? If I need an order management system, I can pick one. I need a PIM, a product information management system, I can pick one of those, right? So it's how do you help people understand the value proposition of the change that's coming? And as a CIO, I have accepted the fact that my role is not just to be to lead the tech brain thrust, right? It's to drive the cultural ad- adoption of the change. And it requires that you spend a lot of time understanding what makes people tick. What do they like? What's working? What's not working? And show them the value proposition of using this new platform and process changes that it's going to bring with it to enhance their quality of life at work. And that's really what I emphasize a lot. Yeah. I, yeah you know, Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and you know, it, and I, thinking through, and I'm going to go back to Avon for a second, the incorporation, I mean, I, you know, I don't know that all the listening audience remembers that there were Avon ladies, which was what they were called, and they were the ones who were selling the products. Uh, and, and men. And men, <laughs> right? Um, but incorporating the boots on the ground, if you will, into the whole new e-commerce strategy, to me, is very different, very intriguing to do that because now you're not creating this device of culture where you're either the boots on the ground or you're the e-com strategy, you're bringing those together. And that to me is fascinating and even more fascinating when you think about when you were doing it, you know, what, what, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. But but even today, it's still fascinating because if you look at the average, uh, you know, the traditional consumer products uh, retailer, it's the same story, right? Uh, they're they're going through a traditional uh, go-to-market channel, and and then there's this there's this digital thing, and they're typically they typically exist almost as two businesses within one company, don't they? Right. And so it's still the question of okay, if I'm doing marketing, Brian, and I'm doing digital marketing, is that just to drive revenues, the revenues of the of the e-com store? Or is that also going to drive traffic into my brick and mortar? And then if that's true, who gets credit? Right. Is it the digital business that gets credited for the cost and the revenue? So, so it means we have to become an omni-channel organization where it's one business with multiple channels through which you're delivering your services. But the channels aren't competing. They're, they're coexisting. There's harmony between the channels. And, 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 and it allows your customers to be somewhat nomadic, if you follow me, because then the customer feels comfortable moving between, in our case, a Reed store on Amazon in the marketplace, or Reads.com, or a Reads outlet, or a Reads Pandora store, and the list goes on. And you still feel that, one, that what I call that oneification of the brand. Yep. Yeah, the oneification. I think that you had mentioned on our call, it was like, You've been home before. You know this place. You're familiar. Exactly. You're bought it. And I really love that. 
And I'm going to go back to the three points that you made earlier, which is people, process, and tech, right? You said tech's a mm -hmm. commodity. Processes are important, but it's those dang humans, the people, <laughs> that have to spend time, which we know can be tricky. And another thing that we talked about on our intro call was your 90-day plan. And I thought it was super insightful how you were able to use this really anywhere. Um, exactly. To, to, to those people, the culture. It doesn't matter where you are, the brand. And I know you've had experience working in Asia and the Caribbean. And this 90-day plan has really been across the board effective for you. Can you tell our audience about that 90-day plan, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, sure. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it requires that if you're the chief information officer and you've been tagged as the person who's going to enable change and drive the transformation, I hate to break it to you guys, but you're going to have to get out there, right? You're not, this isn't one you're going to delegate, right? <laughs> this, this one's on you, <laughs> right? So, so if, if you are a CIO or, or uh, an aspiring one, the, the stuff I'm about to talk about is you, it's yours. Yeah. Um, it, typically, in my first 90 days, I, I essentially play the role of a, of a consultant doing an assessment, and it's an it's, it's an assessment, Caitlin, of those three those three points: people, process, technology. The technology, because we want to I want to understand to what extent is this the Achilles heel, right? Is this going to be the, uh, the 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 toll gate that's going to slow us down? Right. I want to understand our exposure from a risk standpoint. Then the, the processes, the idea is to understand, are these processes uh, effectively leveraging technology that's there and can they, you know, be transferred to the future, the technology that's, that we're going to bring in? And why are we even doing the things we're doing, Brian? Just because we were doing it 40 years ago, does it mean we still need to do it? And then from a people yeah. standpoint, it's, it's a discussion, you know, around our capacity. Now, now, most people, when they hear capacity, they immediately think, okay, let me do headcount. But that's just a single dimension of capacity. I'm looking at capacity in terms of skills, capabilities, competences, and the ability to have the right set of resources at the right time for the right purpose. It's a combination of those three that then leads me into a series of things that we're going to do. One... What's the structure of the IT division and the concept of creating centers of excellence? What I typically find, Brian, is in, in, in my career is the people who lead or own companies uh, view IT as the, the people who keep the lights on. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and, and that's just a fact. They won't admit it, yeah. but it's a fact. <laughs> and my goal, having assessed the IT structure itself, is to change that structure so that it can be the great enabler for change that's now going to come. So essentially, you change the organization as a function of the change in the IT organization. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, I take a look, Brian, at policies and governance. Yeah, it's right. important, right? And so at the end of that 90-day period, there's an, there's an entire strategy around the realignment of the IT services where we have what I call stealth IT, where there's a little bit of IT in every department. We start taking that back. Right. And you restructure the IT division along centers of excellence. And then you put the processes around how do you govern the spend for, for IT investments, Brian? The, uh, most people say, but, you know, Arthur, I, I have a budget uh, and the CFO approved that budget. 
my view is a budget is not a license to spend. Right. It's just a budget. Right. So we have to put the disciplines in place around establishing what I call a uh, strategic planning committee for IT, where you write business cases. Go figure. Mm -hmm. You use English or any other language and a structure to put a document together with a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that then drives a cultural shift across the company because the persons writing these business cases aren't the IT people. They're editors. They're contributors. It's the business owner who has the P&L who wants that new call center software. You're right. going to write the business case for that. We're going to fill in the IT section, but you're going to present it to this committee and we're going to thumbs up, thumbs down. And so that's an example of an IT-infused idea coming out of that 100-day process, Caitlin, that then pushes the company. I'm sure there's work where you're doing, as you said, you have these, you have the stealth IT around yeah. who's collecting the information and understanding the different functional departments and what their wants and needs are that are going to help to drive that change. But you still have to bring it into a cohesive IT. Exactly. Right. Which, which is why you, you, you restructure the IT team, you create those centers of excellence, for example, around cybersecurity and uh, infrastructure management, around e-commerce technology, around data management, around IT risk management, around project management and quality services, and around the application support service. You create these seven centers of excellence, and then you start to claw back from those little stealth IT professionals who really need to be shepherded and nurtured and led by an IT executive. Because if you have IT sitting in, you know, an IT professional sitting in a finance department, Caitlin, tell me what the CFO is going to tell this person about their future as an IT professional. I don't think that'll be very well received. It makes no sense. In the same reason, if I had a junior accountant in IT, I'd probably say you really need to go join the finance department. Right. And so that it's it's really this realignment of the organization driven by the IT realignment. But that comes out of that assessment. So so Brian, to the question, it's a proper turbocharged on the road from one location to another. When I was at uh, BNB Bank on Long Island, it was visiting all the branches, calling the branch manager, saying, hey, I'm coming this day, that day. They'd clear the day. We'd sit, we'd talk. I'd interview them. They'd tell me the good, the bad, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what they've always wanted. And you right. come back with this huge list. And that informs then what becomes your three to five year IT strategy. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. And then to bring that all together and get the team rolling with it, well, obviously you have to you have to sell that further upstream, right? To create the plan, create what's gonna what's gonna happen and ultimately that transformation. So for you as that leader, when do you hit a certain point where you, you kind of kick back and you say, you know what, maybe not my job is done, but I've done I've gotten my team to this certain point and now how do you start to think about a way? And I, I think we talked about this on our pre-call. You need to have like an exit strategy of how you're going to replace yourself. Not that you mm -hmm. necessarily want to leave, but how do you go about that process? And when is when is that right time? That's what I call my, if you've read the, uh, the wonderful novel, Shane, or seen the movie or seen the Geico commercial, <laughs> that's, that's the... Uh, Shane's riding out into the sunset moment. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you've kind of touched on it. For me, it's all about identifying my successor as close to day one as possible, Caitlin. 
you know, it's 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 identifying your successor in that first year, and and not keeping it a secret, <laughs> right? Mm. So so if I have tagged Caitlin to be my successor, I can guarantee you she knows because I'm going to tell her, but her colleagues know as well, and the HR department knows, and the executives and my peers all know about it, because she needs to now get their support as well. Right. Yep. And, and, and it also now forces this new relationship and this exposure. And, and it is now my job. One of my goals is to train up my successor over that three to four year period so that I can have that Shane moment. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the approach. It's once I believe I've gotten to a place where my successor is able to, to take it and, and really continue the, the mission, then I think it's at that point that I don't know that I'm leaving, but, but I tend to pull back and allow this new CIO to shine and get the notoriety while I sit back as, as the old coach going, yeah, that's one of mine over there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. or Miss Jewel Tech number two. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jewel tech number two. <laughs> I have to tell you, and I, I've said this before, I think one, one of my favorite parts about being where I am in my career is the ability to now be a mentor. Absolutely. Um, Isn't it great? It, it, it is like it, to look around and, and, and have the ability to work with people and help them realize their potential and teach them something along the way. And, and obviously we, we too learn from them because they come in with fresh perspectives sometimes. And you're like, you know, after all the years of me doing it, I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. And I, that's, it's, it's such an enjoyable part of, I guess, the career process as, as you continue to, to grow in, in your career, that I think people should look at the mentors that they have now and want to be a mentor in that same way when they get to that stage of their career. It is an unbelievable feeling when you've impacted on the career and the lives of those who were under your charge, mm-hmm. but also when they say it to you while you're still alive. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll never forget having gone to Beijing with colleagues and we, we acquired uh, a bunch of ga- bunch of gaming companies and we created a whole new thing and did an IPO and so on. We're, we're in the uh, online gaming and, and, and lottery <laughs> business in Beijing and Shanghai. When it was time to leave, I received a, uh, a greeting card, Caitlin, and, and it said, you know, please hurry back because when you're in Beijing, the sun shines brighter. That's awesome. It, that is absolutely I mean, awesome. You, you can't pay to get that. that, that you, you, that's the punctuation right there. Yes. It's the Sorry. reward. It it's really the is the reward. Yeah. You know, I believe that every C-suite executive, I'll be more specific, every CIO, should, should go and teach somewhere mm-hmm. at a graduate or undergraduate level. Just do it part-time. Because as you said, Brian, you're learning from them as well. But the feeling you get when that light bulb goes off and you realize that their lives are forever going to be changed because of your influence, it's amazing. My colleagues, my peers, my subordinates, my team members, they'll all tell you if you get to speak to any of them that they feel daily as if they're in a lecture, lecture all. And that's because <laughs> there's this need for us to be shepherds. Yeah. If, if you 
and I said this on a podcast maybe two years ago, you know, CIOs and those who aspire to do what I do, just understand if you're not willing to shepherd and coach and lead and mentor, then don't do this. Be a manager somewhere. But you don't need to be in this office because those are necessary, must-have skills and requirements. You have to want to do that. Absolutely. So uh, there's nothing else that I can say that is that is better to, to wrap up this episode. Arthur, I cannot thank you enough. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure as well. It was a blast. All right. Caitlin, you want to take us out? Yeah, sure, of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Arthur, Mr. Jewel Tech himself. It's been great today. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Check us out every other week on your favorite podcast platform. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye now. Thank you.